unstoppable kick-ass confidence. Are you ready? Welcome to the Raw and Unscripted Show with Christopher Roush, where we help you overcome your self-created crap without the self-help fluffy bullshit. Now please welcome our host, Christopher Roush. And please welcome Christopher Roush. What's going on, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls? It is Tuesday night, 7 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, and you're at your place for the Raw and Unscripted Show with yours truly, Christopher Roush, the place where I help you overcome your self-created crap without the self-help fluffy bullshit. What's going on, ladies and gents? I uh, appreciate you guys being here, whether you're live or on the replay, whether you're watching this on the video cast or listening to us on the audio podcast. Thank you guys for being here. I appreciate you guys as always. We're going to have a great show for you tonight. Hope wherever you are in the world today, this uh, broadcast finds you enjoying your moments because that's what it's all about here on the Ron and Scripted Show is really getting past uh, all the different things in our life and making way for the abundance that we're all deserving of. So appreciate you guys for being here. And speaking of which, um, I want to talk about something right off the bat. I want to talk about this organization right here. Help Heal Humanity, helphealhumanity.org. For those of you guys that are listening on the podcast is an organization that I am on the board of directors on. You guys know this if you've been watching the show for any length of time, but for those guys, are, are, for those of you who are new, I uh, appreciate you guys for being here. And Help Heal Humanity is just an amazing organization. I've been a part of it. I've been on the board of directors now for two years. And, you know, I've always looked at my philanthropic work and my, my volunteer work. I've always looked at the organizations that I volunteer for and donate to with a very cautious eye. We've heard uh, back in the day, all the different uh, large organizations where you kind of wonder where your donation goes to. Does it go to the CEO who has a house with 18 bedrooms and 25 bathrooms? Or does it actually go to the cause of what it is that you're donating for? And what I can say, as a matter of fact, with uh, Help Heal Humanity, knowing the CEO, Serena Buffalino, she started Help Heal Humanity way back in the day when she just decided that she could use her voice and she could use her actions to make this world a better place. And she started off by going to one of the toughest places in the world, Haiti. And not only did she go to Haiti and feed um, the people of Haiti, but she also went there and she built a school. She built a school for the kids to actually go to every single day grow themselves to be able to change the trajectory of what's going on in that country, what's going on for the families there. And so we built a school in one of the toughest areas. And then we started finding out that when the kids went to school, there was a little challenge with them learning. The challenge was that they were coming to school hungry. So what we decided to do is not only provide them their uniforms, not only provide them with their books, but also provide them with three meals a week to make sure that they're nourished, that they can actually retain the information that they're learning and actually be able to apply it in their lives. So helphealhumanity.org is an amazing organization. If you're looking for an organization where to donate your time, where to do donate your money, it's a, it's pretty incredible and would love it for you if you get when you get value out of this particular show that you go there and you support it. That's my only price that you guys got to pay is if you can make a $10 donation, a $5 donation, a $25 donation, or if you could be like my wife and I, we actually sponsor a kid to go to school every single year. That would be amazing. And I know a lot of you guys do it. I shouldn't say a lot. Some of you guys do it because I always ask you to send me a screenshot of what it is that you do so I can kind of pay you back even for volunteering. So anybody who supports uh, the organization with a $200 donation or higher will get a free hour of coaching with me personally, which is uh, which is an amazing value. So not only do you get a tax deductible donation, not only are you helping send kids to school, not only are you helping feed people, but you will also get an hour of coaching with me. And right now is a perfect time for that because we got the new year coming up. 2023 is coming up right around the corner. And what better way than to spend time with me and have some 
some coaching on what it is and how you can set your goals and how you can be successful in those goals. So thank you guys for, for uh, acknowledging this and, and uh, letting me share that with you. I appreciate it. Truth be told, I am under the weather tonight. So if I don't make any sense or if I happen to be coughing or sniffling, then you guys know why. <clears throat> I'm always very transparent. <clears throat> excuse me, we actually had some rain here and some cold weather. And I don't know what it was. It was last night. I just started feeling like shit. So, but anyways, we still bring you the show. We bring you the value, we bring you the content and just appreciate you guys being here. And, uh, you know, our guest tonight is, uh, is an amazing dude. I've been following him on Facebook and social media for quite some time now. And not very often do I reach out to somebody and ask them if they want to be on the show. Most of the time I get my guests from people reaching out to me and saying, Hey, Chris, I want to be a guest on your show. Or of course you guys out there in video land and, and pod a podcast land, you guys say, Oh my God, this guy needs to be on your show or this girl needs to be on your show. But I reached out to this guy because I just noticed that his posts are always very uplifting. They're always engaging. They're always very real truth to the matter point type of posts. And so I'm looking forward to having I'm on the show today. He's here backstage in the in the in the uh, green room, as we call it. Mr. Jake Kaufman, welcome to the Ron and Scripted Show, man. How are you doing tonight, brother? Christopher, I'm doing well, my man. Good to hear from you, and uh, glad to be here. Yes, thank you, thank you, thank you. I was a little worried uh, when I didn't see you in the backstage earlier. Normally, we jump in five minutes before, and I was like, oh my god. And I've had since I've been doing the show. This is actually show number 184. I've had two guests that were a no show. And that's oh, a pretty man. interesting thing. So I'm glad that you're here. I appreciate you being here. Where are you at in the country? I'm in Atlanta, Georgia. So uh, 10 p.m. my time. So you'll have to forgive me. I'm not sick, but obviously moving a little bit of slow, a little bit slower this time of night. But I'm ready to rock and roll with you. Awesome, man. Thank you for being here. I appreciate you. And, uh, you know, one of the questions that I've been asking a lot of my guests recently is just what it is that they we obviously are just coming out of dealing with a pandemic, dealing with COVID and everything for the last couple of years. What has it been for you during this time of the pandemic that you have you have recognized about yourself and what you've recognized about other people in the population today? I know I've had some epiphanies about myself uh, going through the lockdown and everything else, going from a corporate job to just doing my coaching and my speaking and everything else full time. But I've also noticed things about society as well. And I just want to get your take on that as well before we jump into the heart of the conversation. Yeah, I think there's <clears throat> a lot there to unpack. I think, I think first and foremost, um, is just how much fear can impact people's decision-making process yeah, and how it can ultimately cause us to not only ignore, ignore logic, um, but it, it can also completely separate us from our intuition and our internal knowing that I think we all have when it comes to being able to make informed decisions, let alone uh, healthcare decisions, you know, yeah. obviously uh, that's, that's a hot topic, but I think that's kind of beside the point when you think about it, uh, because when you're making decisions from the space of fear, obviously you're going to, um, you're going to ignore connection, right? You're going to ignore mm -hmm. connection with others. You're going to ignore logic um, and, and you're going to go back to, your your prior conditioning right um whatever that is for you based on how you were raised and beliefs imparted to you that make up your current worldview and your personal identity and, and so i think it's really important to establish like what it is that you truly believe in mm -hmm. um, and, and stay true to that obviously fear will have you deviate from that and again will have you kind of depart from your intuition and your internal knowing that says, you know, something's just not right here. Um, you know, and I'm not advocating um, one way or the other as far as like, you know, um, COVID is concerned or the pandemic is concerned. Uh, but I think it had a lot of people betray themselves for 
the sake of falling in line with a certain narrative, whether it was, you know, COVID's a conspiracy theory or whether it's like everyone needs to get the vaccine regardless of who you are or how old you are, right? Um, Because I think everyone should make their own informed decisions, right? There's a reason it's called, um, there's a reason it's called medically informed consent, right? Right. It allows you to decide what is best for you in your body based on, you know, uh, your genetic predisposition and all these other things. I have a healthcare background, so I'm obviously like very passionate about this. You were in healthcare sales, right? I was in healthcare sales for a long time. Yep. And uh, so this is something that I'm very passionate about, but I, I also tend to be a little bit more um, libertarian where I think everyone should just be able to make kind of their own decisions based right. on what they think is best for them. And, and who are we to tell people what to do with their bodies? But regardless, um, whatever side of the equation people fall on, it, it doesn't matter. And obviously this is bigger than, pan- than the pandemic, right? Oh, yeah. It's just how much fear can, can um, interrupt quality decision-making and informed decision-making when you're operating from a space uh, of fear and scarcity. Yeah. What do you, what do you think? And, and I love that that you said that Jake, and you're, you're a coach to coaches, right? I am. Yeah. So I, I got into the coaching space. I've been in the space for over seven years now, which is crazy. Um, I've been full-time in my business for a little over five years now. And it was just kind of a natural progression, to be honest with you, where, you know, I saw, I started seeing more and more um, coaches, in the online space mm-hmm. and i'm of the belief that the best coaches have coaches right yes. <laughs> you know the best performers right there's a reason that you know tiger woods has always had a coach right uh, you know, michael jordan has always had a strength and conditioning coach or a shooting coach and so i was like i think there's a need here for people um like everybody has their blind spots including coaches right of course we all have, you know, an unconscious mind that informs the vast majority of our decisions and, and, and actions. And so I kind of just kind of fell into it naturally when I was like, I think these people need support as well because they're supporting other people, which arguably means they need that much more support. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so true. And, and one of the things I wanted to touch on um, was when you were talking about fears. I mean, talk to us about that because so many people that I've talked to over the last couple of years, my way of paying it forward was I gave, I gifted about 200 coaching calls over the course of the pandemic, just my way of connecting with people, keeping their spirits lifted up. You know, I know people were going through hard times. And one of the things that I found during those conversations was that fear was a large majority of what was holding them back. And so in your mind as a coach, what are some recommendations that you can give people to reshape that perspective about fear? And for me, I tell people like, I tell them to look at this. And this is actually a true story of what happened to me. I was at Six Flags Magic Mountain here in Southern California yeah. years and years and years ago. And in front of me, we were waiting to get on Colossus, the big roller coaster. And yep. right in front of me, these people were all excited. Like, oh my God, what are you going to do? We're going to put our hands up. You know, it's so exciting. It's, I hope it goes fast and da, 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 da. And I can't wait for this. And they were just all about it. And then just about uh, one group behind me, what there was one group behind me, and then there was another group, and they were talking loud enough I could hear them. They were like scared, like, okay, what if what about what if the mechanic didn't show up today? And what if the what if the ride comes loose? And what if this and what if this? And they were just like they were just they were going through all the different fear scenarios. But the thing that I I rationalized in my brain, Jake, was the fact I'm like, it's the same situation, it's just their perspective. The adrenaline, the, the rush and everything else is all the same, but it's the perspective of saying, Hey, I'm excited about this, or hey, I'm scared of this. Talk to us about how we can reshape our perspectives about fear? Well, I think it's important to understand that 
faith and fear have the same thing in common, which is that they both require that we believe in something that we can't even see because we're only actually born with two fears. Biologically, every single human is hardwired with two basic primal fears. And that is the fear of falling and the fear of loud noises. Mm. So those are instincts. Those are unconscious impulses. They don't ask, ask a question. They don't reason or rationalize. We're going to be afraid in those moments uh, when we're confronted by falling or a loud noise. So that's, you know, that's natural. That's normal. It's primal, but everything else is learned and you are correct. It all comes down to perception and perspective. Now for most people, what informs their current fears outside of falling and loud noises is what is the past. Yep. Right. And so whenever someone experiences a challenging cycle, whatever that looks like, maybe it's a period of financial scarcity. Cause I know that's been a huge thing for a lot of people during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, they get laid off, whatever it may be innately in the future they are going to do everything that they can egoically. And when I mean egoically, I mean the self-protective part of our psyche that removes us from harm and that works diligently to keep us in our comfort zone. Right. Right. I don't mean like arrogance. So egoically, our psyche is working very, very, very hard to not repeat that challenging cycle or go back to that challenging cycle. But that'll often have us not take risks, yeah, right? Uh, it'll often have us be complacent yep. because that was, that, that was the word in my brain, <laughs> right? Because that's how that's how we stay in our comfort zone, right? Um, growth can't happen in the comfort zone; no. it has to happen outside of the comfort zone. In fact, it's called what's right outside of the comfort zone is called the growth zone, right? And and that's where we start to you know take on risks. We make investments. We do things that we've never done before, and we act from a place of faith, right? Uh, I'm sure, you know, for a lot of the listeners, let's just take buying a house, for example. For a lot of people, that's the largest purchase they've ever made. Yeah. Right? When, when, When that time comes. And, of course, when that time comes, you're like, oh, man, I'm on the hook for this mortgage. Like, <laughs> what if, what if something, you know, what if I get injured you know what if i get laid off what if i don't continue to make the same amount of money that i once did a lot of which is being informed by the past once again um i'm gonna be on the hook for this right and simply it's a result of your identity not having caught up to the result yet because prior to doing that you are Christopher who hasn't bought a house yet and who hasn't that, who hasn't taken that step in his life yet. Right. But then once you do it, what happens, you experience an identity shift and then you acclimate to that result. Right. And so it's not, now it's no longer a big deal. You don't even really think about your mortgage. It's just, it's something that you do. It's something that just gets done. It's part of your behavior. Right. And it's kind of just ingrained into your character. Right. Um, But upon that up level, right, we're always going to experience resistance. And that resistance is just our ego trying to pull us back into the space of our comfort zone. 
So of course, in that moment, what's going to happen? All of our doubt, all of our fear that we have been, however consciously or unconsciously carrying around for years, if not decades, some of which is not even ours. It's passed on down to us. Yeah. Right. Um, we see this past life regression. A hundred percent. We see this a lot in America, right? Like the fear of people of a different race that's passed down in most instances. Um, you know, their historical racism or, or generational racism that's passed down those beliefs, those stereotypes, those are, those are passed down and those are taught and those are learned. Right. And so a lot of them aren't even ours. So I think it's oftentimes important to ask ourselves the question, like whose belief is this really, or whose fear is this? Whose doubt is this really? Is it actually mine or is it my mom's that she passed on to me and that I have now unconsciously taken on as my own? Is it my dad's that he has passed on to me and now I've just unconsciously taken it on as my own? Because the minute you separate yourself from the fear itself and you realize that you're not the voice in your head, you're the one listening to it. Mm -hmm then you're able to stand in the space of the neutral observer and not have an emotional reaction to that fear. You can actually like allow it to just like work through you. Right. And like move through you because that's, I mean, think about it. That's what happens with any emotion, right? If you sit with any emotion long enough, what ends up happening? It just kind of goes away. Right. Same is true for fear. If you sit with fear long enough, and then you take the action, it's just going to go away. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's important, you know, when we're making decisions, when we're taking risks or making investments or, or whatever it may be, is that we're asking ourselves like, okay, am I operating from a space of fear right now? Or am I operating in faith? Because yeah. a lot of that is based on, on self-trust right? and self-trust. And I love, this is a perfect segue because you talk about this a lot on your show um, is, is literally the meaning of confidence. Right. And so the more self-trust we develop, the more confidence we develop, uh, the more we develop this belief in ourselves that whatever risk we take, um, even if it doesn't work out the way that we hope, even if we end up failing, like we learn from that failure and then we end up improving. Mm, I love that. I love that. And I was hoping you're going to go there, Jake. Um, and uh, we got Robert in the house. What's up, Robert? I got some other got some other person here trying to tell me about their private photos on their site. Um, Robert says, well, howdy. What's up, Christopher and Jake? Thank you for being here, Robert. We won't go into all these other ones. I had that happen on my show Friday night, too. They were they were they came in from my YouTube. We're like, oh, yeah, do this. Um, but what I love about what you were saying, man, we talk about failures. A lot of times we sit there and we think about the fear, the fear of making a mistake or the fear of failing. And I know for me, when I coach people, it's like, and when you think about when it is that we've learned and grown the most, and you kind of alluded to this and the fact of getting outside of our comfort zone, when did we learn and grow the most when things were easier, when things were challenging? Well, of course, when things were challenging, because we got out of, we got outside of that comfort zone and we realized that the comfort zone really was there from the reptilian brain to sit there and say, okay, you got to fight. We have fight or flight. You know, you have to run from dinosaurs to, in order to protect your food, but now we don't have any of those things anymore. So when I talk to my clients about, you know, overcoming fear and the overcoming the fear of failing and making mistakes, when they actually realize that when they've learned the most 
has been when they went and they made those mistakes. So like, it's not really a mistake. I talk about it and be in terms of a learning opportunity. Talk to us about maybe some of your fears or some of the mistakes you've made in your life where you thought it was bad, but ultimately in retrospect, you can look back and say, wow, I'm glad that situation happened because I learned so much from it. Yeah, that's a good question. Well, I first want to point out that there's, there's typically a fear behind the fear, right? You know, typically we're not afraid of, you know, let's say being rejected when we ask someone out, right? Because I think that's a, that's a situation that everyone can relate to, mm-hmm. right? It's typically we're afraid of the story that that is then going to bring up for us. It's a great point. Right. Because when you think about it, being rejected is really just a neutral event, a neutral experience, right? Our experience of it is completely dictated <clears throat> and determined by the meaning that we give it and how we interpret it, right? Because we have to make meaning of every situation, encounter, interaction in our life. We're constantly doing this, right? It's, it's literally how our reptilian brain determines Am I safe here or am I not safe here? Right. So we're physically, so we're constantly doing that at all time in the day. Uh, We're just doing it unconsciously. Right. And so there's typically a fear behind the fear. You're not actually afraid of, of, you know, getting rejected when you go to ask someone out, you're afraid of the story that it's going to bring up for you and what it's going to mean about you. Mm -hmm. Right. I'm not lovable, desirable, whatever, whatever it is, right? Whatever that story is. And then of course, the emotions that are underneath that. Yes. Because for different people, those there's going to be a different emotional reaction or experience. For some people, it's going to trigger anger and frustration, right? Um, for some people, it's going to trigger sadness, right? And so usually it's the emotions that people are looking to avoid, right? That's what they're really afraid of is experiencing those emotions attached to the meaning of the experience. Um, As far as like my fears are concerned, um, you know, I'll never forget what, you know, we already talked about um, my, my previous healthcare background. Um, I'll just, go when I first, uh, my first job ever in healthcare um, was, was in software sales. Uh, so we, we, we built a SaaS product um, that we then sold to, uh, excuse me, healthcare practices in order to improve patient communications between the healthcare practice and the patient. And so we text enabled the landline of the practice so that the patient could text uh, their doctor's office in the same way that you and I would text each other. So no, it really awesome. streamlined communication. Yeah. Um, and of course, <clears throat> for a significantly better customer service experience. And I'll never forget, before I accepted the job, I was like, actually, after I accepted the job, this happened multiple times, by the way. <laughs> um, after I accepted the job, it was my first full day on the job. And I was like, what am I doing? <laughs> I was like, I don't know anything about healthcare. I don't know anything about selling software. I had been in sales in the past, but never with never with software. And so I was like, I know nothing about selling software. I know nothing about the healthcare industry. How am I going to sell this thing? And I had no training, Chris, because it was a startup. Oh. Um, it was a startup. And so there was no Try training. Yep. 
A hundred percent, right? Like head first, there was no training, there was no onboarding, there was no support. And so I really just kind of had to figure it out for myself. And I'll never forget this. I was in our shared office space in Los Angeles, which is where I was living at the time. Nice. And our main office was in San Francisco. But I was like, this laptop computer is mine. I own it. It wasn't a company computer. I was like, I could leave. Like I could walk out the door of the, cause I was the only person in our Los Angeles office. Wow. <laughs> and I was like, I could leave and I would never see any of them again. That was how much doubt I had. Wow. That was how much fear was coming up for me. Cause like I said, I knew nothing about healthcare. I knew nothing about selling software. I was like, I could leave and walk out the door and I would never have to see any of them again. It wasn't that I was actually afraid or intimidated by the healthcare industry or my lack of knowledge when mm -hmm. it came to the healthcare industry or selling software. It was all this self-doubt that I was forced to confront or fear that I was forced to confront in the midst of that experience and all of the historical things that it brought up for me, mm -hmm. um, you know, because I full transparency kind of struggled through college despite actually trying really hard. Cause I started, I made the mm -hmm. mistake of starting out as a finance major, not really that I was dyslexic. So you oh, can wow. Yeah. That, 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 that pay outside. That's a little challenging. Very. So you can <clears> imagine like how my first two years in college were where I was like really trying and giving it my all and a ton of effort and energy was going into it. And I just wasn't seeing results. You know, I was, failing classes or hardly passing them, having to repeat classes. And it was taking a big, big toll on my level of confidence. Sure. And I made, I made up stories about myself that I was just like, man, I'm just not smart, you know? And like that took a big toll on me. And it was super frustrating as you can imagine, because I was trying, I was actually trying, unlike other people who were like partying right. and like, you know, um, you know, just, hanging out with friends, I was actually really trying. And in that moment, I'll never forget this is, is one of the key defining moments in my life. I was like, love it. I was like, no, I will figure this out. I was like, I will figure this out. I don't care what it takes. I'll figure out how to do this. I'll figure out how to make it work. I'll figure out how to sell this software solution. And I mean, I taught myself everything. When I say everything, I mean everything. Like how to use Salesforce, how to use like our CRM, how do you like how to sell it? Cause we didn't even know how to sell it. Wow. Like, because we were like, we have this product. We know that it improves communication. So now that patients can text their doctor's office, just like they do everybody else. And that's how people are primarily communicating nowadays. But we didn't even know the pain point of the healthcare practice. Mm, that's an important like, spot. Like what would motivate a healthcare practice to actually want to buy this other than the fact that like, Hey, now your patients can text you. Right. I had to figure that out all on my own. And that was super intimidating. And it brought up a lot of fear because of the self doubt that I had internalized from previous experiences. And, and those previous experiences go much, much, much further back than, you know, when I was in college, you know, I experienced quite a bit of, of physical abuse growing up, sexual abuse growing up. So as you can imagine, that took a significant toll on my self-esteem, on my oh, yeah. on my internal confidence. 
that then was re-triggered in my experience in college. That was again, then just re-triggered in my experience in healthcare. Cause I hadn't started to undress, address those things, mm-hmm. you know, and I hadn't really packed them away <laughs> and I hadn't, you know, I hadn't done the healing work yet um, from really going back and addressing those things that I experienced in my childhood. And so I was overwhelmed by that stuff. And, but as you can imagine, as I started to experience the success from just like my work ethic and my resilience in being willing to figure things out and not give up, eventually I started to develop confidence because I started seeing, I started seeing results and I started improving and I started selling people. Like I'll never forget the minute I figured out, I was like, Oh, these are like the three things that would compel a healthcare practice to buy. And I like called up the CEO mm. and I was like, I know what it is. Like, <laughs> I got it. I got it. I got it. Totally. You know, cause when they originally hired me, it was like a six month temp contract. They didn't even guarantee my employment beyond six months because, you know, we were in the early stages uh, of, of being a company and we only had a couple months of runway. And so I had to figure out how to sell the product. And the minute I did, it was like this huge moment for us. And so that allowed me to overcome my fear because of the resilience that I cultivated throughout the process of being able to figure it out. And that's honestly what really has carried me in entrepreneurship as well, because I mean, you know, like entrepreneurship is (laughs) definitely not this straight line experience. Like, it's it's a roller coaster, <laughs> you know. Um, it doesn't need to be necessarily, but for most people, you know, I think what ninety two percent of businesses end up failing, you know. Least, yeah. And so, and that's like that's like in under two years. And so during the, those initial years, you're like really just trying to figure things out and figure out what works and just try to keep the lights on. And once you've really figure that out and you've created some level of like consistency and success, then you're like, Oh, I can do this. Right. And, and that's when you really start to cultivate a better relationship with self and you start to make decisions from the space of that Mm self-trust rather than the fear of the past or the pain of the past. Yeah, exactly. I love what you're saying, Jake. And you know, what you're speaking to is the two different things that have popped into my mind as you were talking. And I think about, you know, the, the old adage that I did, I'm doing the best that I can. And that's one thing I want to pick your brain about. And then also you incorporated also leverage, like you had to shit or get off the pot. You had to make this thing happen. So you had to sit there and redefine your perspective about this and say, okay, listen, what are the three selling points I can give to somebody in order to maybe entice them to want to move forward on this project? And I love that. And I want to talk to you about that a little bit because so many people are sitting there saying they're doing the best they can. I've talked to a lot of people recently, like, Chris, I'm doing the best I can. I'm like, well, what is your best? Like when you think about that, and I think about this and I tell this story, I think about probably about six or seven years ago, it was before my son was born. I came home from my corporate job and I was putting my keys and my change up on my dresser. And I have this little thing. And I was like, I was thinking about something that I did that day. And I said, well, I did the best I could. And, you know, we think about it when we're kids, like, Hey Jake, did you do the best you could on your homework? Yeah, I did. Okay. You can go play. Hey Jake, did you do the best John? Yeah, I did. Okay. We think, wow, it's a get out of jail free card. You're like, every time I say I do my best, then, then people say, okay, we'll do better next time. But nobody really qualifies for us what our best is and what is better for the next time. So I sat there and examined myself. I'm like, why is it that I'm saying that I did the best I could? Because I was basically giving myself an excuse and I'm the no excuses coach. So I was like, okay, how can I re 
rephrase this? How can I reinterpret this um, in order to know proactively that I'm doing my best? So what advice yeah. do you have for people when they go into a new situation to, to cultivate that belief and to cultivate that faith and to cultivate that opportunity to have that proactive leverage in order to be successful? That's a great question. Well, I think first and foremost, you know, it's important to understand that what got you here <clears throat> to yeah. where you are today is not going to be the thing that gets you to the next level. Love it. So while I realize that you are doing your best, if you want to change, right, for whatever reason, for whatever your compelling why is, if you want to change and like reach for more, you have to become a different person in the process. Yeah. Because, you know, what compels people to desire more? It's that they don't have something, right? Or that they're they're not currently experiencing something that they want to be experiencing. And so what does that innately have them do? It has them strive for more. Well, if you are not reaching your goals or accomplishing your goals, because I know you talked about that at the beginning of the show. Well, then something has to change within you, right? Because your behaviors, your actions, and your decisions are simply informed by your beliefs and your identity. Yeah. That's all we got. So something has to fundamentally and foundationally shift within you such that it leads to a behavior change, new actions, new decisions that then will cultivate new and different results, right? Like you can't for, I want to use a very simple cliche example, but like if you're going to build muscle, you got to go to the gym. Yeah. Like there's just, there's no way around it, you know? And so and that's the thing. Most people want to build or gain muscle, but they don't want to do the work required. Right. And so I think for most people, rather than focusing on like the work or the task at hand, you know, you really got to focus on like, what is this going to do for me? You know, and if you're, if you're striving like myself, cause I realized that in college I was genuinely doing my best. I was going to all the study hall sessions with private tutors I was doing all the extra credit I could possibly do. Like I can honestly look myself in the mirror and say, I was giving myself, I was giving my 110%. Um, and it just it was not doing anything, Christopher. Like my professor even said, I've never seen someone try so hard for a D plus. <laughs> I, I had a math teacher tell me that one time actually in, in college. <laughs> right. And so, but what did I end up doing after that? I ended up changing my major. Because like, I mean, I basically had a choice. I could like continue to repeat classes, drop out, waste money on these classes that I wasn't passing, you know, or I could shift what I was doing, you know? And so I decided to, to go the latter route rather than to drop out of school. I was like, okay, well, what is something um, that I can cultivate a level of fluency in that I can bring myself to that I like that I'm passionate about that's going to allow me to graduate and get a degree. Right. You know? <laughs> let and, me have a life for myself, a nice life. Totally. Yeah. And, and get a job. 
And so I just ended up deciding, because uh, again, like, you know, round peg, square hole situation, I get that some people might be in a situation or a circumstance where that's a very real thing, like I was, yeah. you know, it's like, you know, it doesn't matter how hard I was trying, it, it wasn't going to change the end result. And so at, at that point, you kind of have to be detached from the end result, because attachment is just the bridge to suffering. Exactly. Uh, at that point, you just have to be willing to shift um, the, en the end result. Because what did I care about the most? I didn't care about getting a finance degree. I cared about getting a degree that would mm. allow me to get a job. You know, and, and so for certain people, you know, I think a big thing for them is like they want to make more money. Right. Especially with the pandemic that's been brought to the forefront. A lot of small businesses have closed. A lot of people have experienced financial hardship, which is really unfortunate. Um, you know, if if that's occurring, if that's happening, like you can bang your head against the wall all day long, like asking for a raise at your current company. But you're you're kind of at their mercy as to whether or not they're going to give it to you. Right. And so like, mm -hmm. and you can only ask so often so much. Right. Like. Um, at which point you kind of have to be flexible and say, okay, well, how am I going to take radical responsibility for creating the wealth that I desire in a new and different way? I love right? that. So for some people that looks like adopting a side hustle. For other people, it looks like going and working at a different company. For other people, it looks like getting a different career entirely. And so I, I think for um, the people that are like striving for more or desiring more for themselves, more for their life, you have to be willing to change yourself if you expect to be able to change your results or, or improve your results. And, and it starts with you because the relationship that you have with you and yourself, uh, it's the foundation of everything. Yeah. No, I love what you're talking about there. And I love the fact that you're talking about foundation because really when I look at what we're talking about here is I think about our, 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 um, our level of excuses that will allow, you know, that's why I call myself the no excuses coach. My coach asked me one time, she's like, why are you successful? What are the two reasons why you're successful? And I said, um, I never gave myself any excuses and I've never stopped. And so we talk about it all the time, like unstoppable, no excuses. I said, I'm the no excuses coach because I'm able to, I was able to take my own excuses. I was told I was stupid all my entire life. I did shitty in school up until the point I was in the seventh grade. Then I had to drop out. And then I spent four years being homeless on the streets, not going to school. And then back when I was 18 years old, when I was starting to get my shit together, because I tried to commit, commit suicide twice. Unfortunately, I sucked at it. Somebody came to me and said, Hey, Chris, have you thought about going back and getting your diploma? And I'm like, are you crazy? I, I, I was doing terrible in school when I was in the seventh grade. Now I've spent four years outside of it. What makes you think I can go get a diploma? My, my excuse was that I was stupid. And so what I had to do is he's like, no, he goes, Christopher, you're only limited by the parameters of your own mind. And I was like, okay, so I guess if I think I'm going to fail, then I will. But if I think I'm going to pass, then perhaps I will. If I, if I apply myself and if I do the work that they're assigning me. So I went back and I got my GED. And so through that process, I had to sit there and go based on somebody else's belief. I had to get rid of my excuse that I thought I was stupid. I had to get rid of my excuse that I thought I was going to do poorly in school. I had to get rid of the belief that was instilled in me by my mom that I wasn't good enough and that I wasn't ever going to be worthy. And I had to just put one foot in front of the other to continue to go. And then once I got my GED, he's like, well, what do you think about college? I'm like, what do you want from me, dude? 
And he was yeah. this older guy. He was my, he was a mentor. He was an amazing gentleman in my life. I wound up marrying his daughter. Uh, my first there marriage, not my second marriage, but uh, ultimately the question I'm getting at to you is like you being a coach and maybe in your own personal life, talk about either one. What are some of the most common excuses that either you had or that your coaching clients have? And what ways do you have to get them to reframe their perspective about their, their excuses? Cause I love what you're doing here. You're, you're constantly reframing things to, to be in the power of the affirmative, which I dig. So talk to us about excuses and so, some of the, the main ways we can overcome. some of those, some of those excuses. It's a great question. Two things come up for me right off, right off the bat. Number one is, does this make sense <clears throat> if I were seven? Does this make sense if I were seven? Yeah. Does this excuse make sense if I were seven? Like, I'm afraid of getting rejected or I'm afraid of them leaving me. Like, when you're seven, that makes a lot of sense and it carries a lot of weight. Sure. Because you're still actively working to earn your friend's approval and really establish like social dynamics, right? Between you and other people. You're still trying to earn the love of your mother and the approval of your father, right? Because at that age, it's important for your psychological development for you to do that. Yeah, safety. Yep. Obviously, later in life, you're kind of meant to, to break free from that need, the need for approval and love from your parents. That's important as well when we move on into adulthood. But for a seven-year-old, that's really important. And so does this fear make sense if I were seven? Yes, it does. Okay, great. I'm not seven. Okay, so what would the adult version of me do? Like now that I know that this makes sense if I were seven, I'm not seven. Right, I love okay. it. So what does the adult version of me now want to do based on the fact that I now know that I'm not seven. I'm an adult. I'm, you know, more than capable of making my own independent decisions. Right. Now, what do I want to do? And, and the other thing is, you know, what would I do if I had no fear? Oh, I like that. Um, I think there's a fine line between risk and recklessness. And, and I think when we're operating in fear, right, we're not going to think logically and we're not going to really break down the decision and think about it objectively. Right. No. <laughs> Unless it goes out the door. A hundred percent. Yeah. Like rationalizing reasoning is not going to come into the equation um, because we're not seeing the situation like through clear eyes and objectively. And we're not even going to get around our we're not even going to get around to asking ourselves the question like, is this a risky decision or is this a reckless decision? Mm -hmm. Like if it's a reckless decision, let's maybe take a step back, right? Like if it's a risky decision, okay, let's talk through it, right? Because when you think about, again, I'll use a fitness example. We want to stretch the muscle, but we don't want to strain it, right? Yeah. If we want to grow the muscle, we have to stretch it. It's just, that's inevitable, right? But we don't want to strain it because that's when we risk injury, right? You push yourself too far and now you need to spend more time recovering than what is normal if you just put in a good hard workout and you stretch your muscles, right? And so we want to we want to stretch the muscle. We don't want to strain it. We want to make risky decisions because risky decisions lead to growth, lead mm -hmm. to self-expansion, greater degree of financial abundance, et cetera, et cetera. 
right? But we don't want to we don't want to strain ourselves, right? So we don't want to overextend ourselves. Um, this is true for you know people in your physical fitness, like I mentioned, because you don't want to risk injury. But this is also true, like in your finances. You know, you don't want to like overextend yourself or leverage yourself, expose yourself to too much risk. That should things not work out the way that you want them to, you know, you're gonna put yourself in a really compromising position. Sure. And so I think asking yourself um, quality questions is really what um, comes down to making informed decisions that are going to actually move you closer to your goals rather than than further away from your goals. And, and so I think breaking it down in that way, um, I realize it's, it's much more logical than it is necessarily emotional uh, because that's a whole other component right there. I think it's important when fear happens that we don't bypass it by moving mm -hmm. through it too quickly because then we risk avoidance, right? And mm -hmm. oftentimes- Hold we'll of trouble. Things. Yeah, and we'll make impulsive decisions, right? For the sake of not actually like experiencing the emotions that are found in the fear of that experience, right? Because, you know, when we release an emotion, how do we typically end up feeling after the fact? We end up feeling relieved. We see, we like, we're able to think and process more objectively and make better, more informed decisions. Right. And so I think the same is true, you know, for when we're experiencing fear. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is true. And I love what you're saying. When I think about that, I think about what you were talking about is questions. Like when I think about my coaching and what separates me from other coaches is I ask different questions. So I'm curious to, for you, what are some of your favorite questions to ask either yourself or your coaching clients that, that, that can spur, uh, um, dynamic thinking or outside of the box thinking. Like for me, I know one of the simplest questions I can ask myself is what am I supposed to be learning from this? As mm -hmm. opposed to like being afraid or anything else, like what am I supposed to be learning out of this situation? Instead of not wanting the negative situations in my life, what am I supposed to be learning from this and what can I take and then use this to be more powerful or what can I take from this to be a better coach? What can I take from this to be a better dad to my son? So what are some of the most important questions that you like to ask yourself or ask your clients that helps move the needle forward on maybe a particular problem or, or a situation you have? Mm. What's the real challenge here for you? I like it. Getting into the deep root of the situation. Talk to us about that. Well, the issue is never the issue. Like Just we talked symptoms. about, correct. Usually what we're talking about is the symptom, right? It's, it's surface level. Yeah. When you think about an argument between you and your partner, it's never about the dishes. When she asked <laughs> you to do them and you didn't follow through, right? It's about what she made it mean, right? I, like what I say doesn't matter, I'm not supported, I don't feel heard, whatever the story is, right? And then like we talked about whatever emotions are underneath those stories mm -hmm. that are then triggered by this very real world experience where she asked you to do the dishes, you said, yes, babe, sure, I'll do them. And then you didn't follow through and now she's frustrated. You must be eavesdropping in my house. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm actually a good dishwasher. There you go. For the most part. But, you know, what's the real challenge here for you forces them into deeper levels of conscious awareness, right? So now we're not just talking about um, the, the surface level issue or the symptom, like you mentioned, but we're digging beneath it, right? What is the underlying, oftentimes unconscious motivation that is behind this 
that really needs unpacking because anyone can willpower their way into taking a risk, right? But oftentimes that's not sustainable, right? Because of the felt impact on your nervous system, right? That's actually how we go about making decisions. It's not based on our logical brain, right? right? It's based on how we actually feel in our in our physical body, right? Our gut sends 10 times the amount of information to our brain than our brain does to our gut. So, you know, you do, you do the math, right? Which one's, which one's more important. Right. And so it's ultimately about how we feel in our bodies and creating a greater level of resilience, but also a felt sense of safety within our bodies, because that's when we can actually move through resistance rather than becoming debilitated by resistance. Yes. Right. And, and so that's what we really want to cultivate is a greater felt sense of safety, which leads to a greater um, level of resilience, which allows us to take on a greater degree of risk. Mm -hmm. uh, and so what a lot of the work that I do with my clients is it's called somatic experiencing or somatic therapy, soma meaning body. Oh, yeah. Yep. How do we cultivate a greater felt sense of safety or acceptance in the body such that we are able to move through resistance and, and not be debilitated by that resistance? Because again, we want it to be stretchy. We don't want it to be straining or debilitating. Yeah that's when it has the opposite impact or, or effect. And so what's the real challenge here for you or what's the fear behind the fear? You know, I mentioned that earlier is another really good question. Um, and then even a follow-up after that is like, where does that come from? Mm, I like that. Where does that come from? Or when mm. did you first experience that? Right. Cause now we're inviting in healing, Right? Because we're we're getting to the source of the issue, the root of the issue, right? Yes. We're we're digging into the disease that is responsible for the symptom. Because, like I mentioned earlier, if you have an unhealed or unprocessed experience from the past, you're gonna innately and unconsciously bring it into the present to inform your decision making right yes. here, right now. That's just how the brain works. That's just how our primal uh, primal brain works right and so we're not wanting to repeat a challenging cycle naturally nobody wants to do that mm -hmm. and so we have to know like where does this fear come from what is it rooted in what's the experience that it's attached to like when do we first remember experiencing being rejected right or abandoned or betrayed or whatever fill in the blank. Right. Uh, and then how did that make you feel so that we can actually start to process the emotions attached to that experience so that we can separate experience from emotion. Yeah. Such that we're no longer bringing pain from the past into the present in a way that informs our current decisions, actions, behaviors, which of course is what is responsible for all of our results. Yeah. And then we're able to have a breakthrough, right? So we have to go back to the beginning, if you will, of where that fear has its roots, 
right? So that we can detach emotion from experience and then move through whatever resistance is present for the person. Mm, dude, I love it. I love it. You're speaking my language big time. And I can't even believe we've already been talking for 50 minutes, but you mentioned something. I want to ask you one more question, if I may. Um, you talked about healing and, and earlier on you mentioned uh, abuse. Uh, talk to us about that journey of, of healing and empathy and forgiveness, because that's something I've been very passionate about in the last couple of years is really kind of getting into that mental health component yeah. of goal setting and everything else and being able to see things from a different perspective that we think happened to us, but ultimately we can redirect that to say that it happened for us. Talk to us about that journey of empathy and forgiveness in your world and how that's impacted your, your business life and every other aspect of your life. Mm, man. Well, it's been a long road, suffice it to say. Um, but it's been a really, it's been a really beautiful one because the more I do it, the more I do it, as you can imagine, the less I make decisions based on the pain of the past. Sure. Right? So how do I make decisions now? It's on the promise of the future or my vision or what I'm committed to my goals, like you mentioned, right? I'm not unconsciously recycling that pain, right? Or those uncomfortable experiences where I was disappointed or rejected or ridiculed or abandoned or whatever it is. I'm now making decisions based on what I want to actually experience, not what I don't want to experience. Right. That's a good point. Delineation. Correct. That's a huge shift for a lot of people. It's like, okay, I'm very clear about what you don't want, but what, what do you really want? Yes. What is it that you actually want, right? Um, which is always a beautiful follow-up question going back a little bit after you kind of dissect the person's thinking process around like what's the real challenge here for you. Okay, knowing that, what is it that you really want, right? Because we're, we're kind of making that distinction or that delineation between this is what you're afraid <clears throat> of, this is what you don't want to have happen, and this is what you want. This is what you want to have happen. Let's put focus and energy and attention on that. <clears throat> Excuse me. And so for me, it's been a long road, but the more healing work I do, um, the more I cultivate, we'll just call it that mental health muscle. Right? Yeah. Um, because, you know, let's be honest, you know, if you don't make your health and fitness a lifestyle, you're going to regress, right? If you don't use it, you'll lose it. Right. Yes. Uh, the same is true for mental health. Right. If you are not actively going to therapy, getting coaching, practicing self-help, whatever that looks like for you, whether it's reading books, I think books have their limitations. I think coaching and therapy is where you really get into yep. uh, like the nuts and bolts uh, of the work. You know, I kind of attribute books to like working out on your own. Like you'll see results, however, slowly, yeah. but like the minute you hire a professional to support you, you're going to start to like see rapid growth, uh, much more significant transformation, better results. Yeah. Uh, and that's, that's where coaching and therapy kind of come into play is when you're hiring a professional to help you. Um, the more, the better my business does, as you can imagine, the more I invest in it. Cause it's, it's a lifestyle now, right? Yeah. It's not, it's not just a life event where like I went to see a therapist for three months and then called it good. Like imagine <laughs> if you, you know, we talked about, um, you mentioned, you know, we're coming up on the new year here, right? So yeah. let's just think of 2023. Um, 
as a 12-month calendar year, which it is, uh, think about if you worked out January all like consistently, January, February, March, but then didn't work out at all April through December of 2023. Where are you going to be at in your health and fitness at the end of the year? <laughs> Probably not that great. Yeah, the same is true for your mental health. You can't just go to a therapist or hire a coach for three months and then be like, all right, I'm good. Like it's got to be, you know, a lifestyle. Yes, take some time off. Yes, go on vacation, take a break, but you come back to it, right? Like I don't know about you, but when I go on vacation, I don't work out nearly as much as I do when I'm home. Mm. But like what happens after the week off or the two weeks off? Well, I go right back to it. Um And so it's been a long road for me, but it's been a super rewarding one because, like I said, the more I do it, the better my business does, the more my relationships with myself and others thrive, Um, the more quality of life I experience through joy, peace, and fulfillment, which I think is true success or a mark of true success. Um, And that's really all I can ask for. Yeah. No, I mean, that's, that's so true. I mean, what you stated right there is like shifting the perspective of like, what is it that I can do to change my view about what's going on in order to yield a different result? Dr. Wayne Dyer talks about when you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. And for me, I know that that's been instrumental in me going from that seventh grade homeless dropout who lived in the backseat of a station wagon with 18 cats and two dogs to now the life that I have now. I had a successful corporate career and now I'm doing my coaching, my speaking. I'm in the middle of actually almost done writing my book. I have 155,000 words. Um, I'm going to call it, I'm going to call it down a little bit, but I wanted to get everything out and make sure it was um, the story that I wanted to tell to inspire as many people as I possibly can from different genres and different backgrounds and ethnicities and everything else. I want this book to be super, super powerful. So I've had to shift my beliefs about those situations in order to get the different results. And uh, man, I just appreciate you for being on the show. I could sit here and talk to you for hours. I love it when I find somebody who's got the same mindset about, you know, getting to the root cause of situations. One last question I have for you is I noticed when I was going through your social media feed that you have a men's retreat coming up. Tell us a little bit about this and tell us about who it's for. And then uh, we'll round out the show. Yeah. So every year for the past five years, um, I've taken um, a group of men to Zion National Park, which is in Southern Utah. Uh, And and it's really just for growth-minded individuals who are committed to their ongoing personal development and forming a community with other men and going deeper in their relationship, both with themselves, but with also a community of other men. You know, we, we started by talking about the pandemic in this show. I really think that community is immunity. Yeah. When we're in close connected relationship, intimate connected relationship not just surface level how's the weather you know how are you um type of interactions or connections when you're a part of a conscious community of people who are growth minded and who really truly care about each other support one another and, and show up in service and in support of one another that's where you really really grow because when you think about it we're we're born into relationship. We're wounded in relationship, but where do we heal? We also heal in relationship. Yeah. And so this is a container for, you know, conscious um, driven growth minded men to come together to form a community that most people don't actually have. And so it's, it's the retreat, but there's also eight weeks of, of coaching on the back end uh, for the guys to continue to collaborate network, 
support one another in reaching their goals so that they can make, you know, 2023 a great year. Love it, man. Jake Hoffman, thank you for being here on the Ron and Scripted Show. Where can people get a hold of you to continue the conversation? Uh, so my the best way to get a hold of me is, yep, my Instagram. Thank you for pulling that up. Um, I am Jake Kaufman. My website is uh, Jacob, my full name, jacobkaufman.com. Um, so those are the two best places to find me. Awesome, brother. Thank you for being here on the Ron and Scripted Show. I'm going to place you backstage. I'm going to close out the show. Don't go anywhere so I can still chat with you for a second. But appreciate you being here. And uh, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, Jacob Kaufman, Jake Kaufman, connect with him. Um, appreciate you guys, all you being here. Uh, I noticed that uh, Nelly came in the house. She says, hello, all. Um, she also says, sounds like that would be a point of growth or evolving that has to take place to move forward. Absolutely. Um, she also says here, maybe a realization that the path you're on is not what is meant for you. So there is a need to make a change. Yes. Brilliant observation, Nelly. Appreciate it. We got, uh, Robert in the house. What's up? Robert says here, he goes, there is a secret weapon for that. The benefit of life experience. Yes. Da yes. Uh, Robert, appreciate you being here. Um, you guys are all beautiful people. So this is what we could do from this conversation is you can sit there and take a particular perspective in your life that maybe is not working to your advantage and ask yourself and question that what, what would that mean for me as a seven-year-old? I think that's how Jake uh, described it. You know, is that something that's true for me at a seven-year-old phase, but now I'm an adult. How can I shift that perspective? How can you see that life is happening for you and not to you? You know, through this conversation tonight, we've been talking about what it really means to get to the root cause of something and to, to question the viability of that and to be able to say, okay, listen, if I heal through some of those traumatic experiences that I've had in my past. If I sit there and look at those were uh, coming from somebody who themselves were a hurt individual, how can I shift that to make myself realize that I am worthy and I am capable and I'm able to go and move forward with myself in my life to achieve the greatness that I deserve. That ladies and gentlemen does not happen overnight. And no, it's not easy. Yes, it is hard, but guess what? On the other side of it is worth it. And I can sit here and tell you to this day, all the different challenges and experiences I've had, I've been betrayed, I've been rejected, I've been fired, I have been cheated on, I've been lied to, I've had every situation in the book happen to me, but yet I don't have any animosity. I have love and faith and respect for all the people in my life for they were doing the best they could do in those particular situations. And it was up to me whether I took that personally, it was up to me whether I made that a part of my baggage for the rest of my life, or it was up to me to ask myself, what can I learn from this? How can I grow from this? What can I shift out of this perspective and this belief in order to make it work for me and to use that as an advantage, use that as fuel to continue my skyrocketing, you know, um, success into the future. You know, we all get to those points and places and it's, it's up to us to take that responsibility to sit there and say, listen, you know what, what is one thing I can do tomorrow that by which doing so will make it just a little less daunting for me to consider going after my dreams. What's the one thing I can do starting tomorrow that will get me one inch closer, one step closer. You know, I, in my coaching, I call it needle movers. What is the needle mover that I need to focus on tomorrow that by which in six months, if I continue to focus on it will yield dramatic different results. It's all up to you guys. That's why I bring the show to you every single week is the fact that when you shift your perspective about things and you start taking that risk, like Jake was talking about, you start taking that risk. That's excitement. You know, when you ask yourself a question, when did it become acceptable to be mediocre? Ask, ask yourself that question and say, when did it become acceptable for me to be, for me to be mediocre? The answer should be, it's never acceptable. And if it's not acceptable and you're being mediocre, what's the one thing you can do? It's not about doing 10 things or hundred things. What's the one thing you can do? Because to Jake's point, as you continue and you start doing those things, like he was talking about, you know, in selling software for um, the uh, healthcare agency, 
he just started taking proactive steps. And by doing so, you start building this resiliency, you start building this confidence, you start building this belief that no matter what is in front of me, I'm going to conquer it. It may not be easy, but it's always going to be worth it because on the other side, I can sit there and look at it like, wow, I'm glad that this happened for me because now I have lessons in my brain and my in my in my toolbox that I know I can go to and, and either help myself out of a situation that might be similar to it, or I can help somebody that I love maybe potentially avoid going through that same thing. So I encourage you to connect with Jake. Like I said, I've been following and stalking his social media for quite some time. He's a tremendous individual and I'm glad I had the opportunity to talk to him here. Um, we appreciate you guys, whether you're live or on the replay, as always, you can still put questions in there. We'll make sure that we get those answered for you. And we'll be back here next week on the Ron and scripted show. And who do we have up next week? Next week. Let me just tell you guys. Because uh, you guys say, I would like to know who's up next week. And I always forget to tell you. So next week, we have Gary Barnes in the house. Gary Barnes wrote a book called How a Beaver Saved My Life. And actually, I've known Gary for quite a number of years. He was actually on my Kick-Ass radio show when I did a live radio show way back in the day before I did the Ron Unscripted show and before I did the Unfiltered Experience. So Gary Barnes is going to be on here next week. We appreciate you guys being here. Again, uh, whether live or on the replay, go check us out on podcast, wherever podcasts are sold. Just type in Ron Unscripted and you will find me, Christopher Rush, right there. And be sure to check out my other show, The Unfiltered Experience. And by the way, shh, I'm not allowed to say this, but I have one more show coming up. It hasn't been announced yet. It's called The Visioneering Five. Shh. Anyways, ladies and gentlemen, go out there, be brilliant. Enjoy your life. Enjoy your moments. Enjoy your family. Don't take anything for granted. Show gratitude in everything that comes into your life. And I promise you will find more of that. We'll see you here next time on The Ron and Scripted Show. Peace.